Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. And so my biggest advice is just like anything, it's about relationships and, and you know when things are working and when they're not. So just stay positive and try to connect. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Allison Lester, Director of Media Relations for Fletcher Marketing. We hope you're starting your new year off strong. We have an exciting year ahead. We're launching a new website with a fresh look. So stay tuned for more on that. And I'm gearing up for one of my favorite PR events of the year, our immersive media tour we hold for a client in Townsend, Tennessee. This will be our third year doing that media event. So today I've invited two travel writers on to talk with us about travel writing, the trends and tips for some of you PR pros about pitching and getting coverage. Susan Barnes is one of our guests. She has more than 20 years of journalism experience and writes for a ton of different outlets, including USA Today, Food and Wine, Garden and Gun, Travel and Leisure, just to name a few. She writes about travel, lifestyle, food, culinary, beverage. And then we also have Ashley Facino, who joined us for last year's media tour. I got to meet her then. She's the founder of The Happiness Function, which is a travel outlet she started to inspire happiness through travel and outdoor recreation in the U.S. She's also a nationally syndicated travel writer. So thank you guys both so much for joining me today. Thank you, Allison. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So first, I want to just jump into how you guys got started doing what you're doing, and we'll go alphabetically. So we'll start with you, Ashley. Thanks, Allison. Well, my bachelor's is in biology, and my master's is in environmental policy and management. For my first career, my writing background was in scientific and more technical writing. Life happened, and I left my corporate job in the spring of 2020, praying new doors would open for me, and they did. I started reading about travel bloggers making six figures, and I was like, I want to do that. So I launched my own website, The Happiness Function. I started writing about the things my husband and I were doing for fun on the weekends, like camping and hiking with our A-liner and our dog. And when I started my travel writing journey, I did everything I could to learn SEO and all the social media platforms how to write travel guides, how to edit, and everything else I could think of. The more I got into it, the more people I met. And then I started having opportunities to write for larger websites like Wealth of Geeks, who syndicate content to other media sites. From there, more doors open, press invites started rolling in, and now traveling, writing, and editing is my full-time job. That's such a cool background because I had no idea having spent a good deal of time with you. I had no idea that your background was really scientific writing. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people do because they get to see adventure travel, Ashley, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I think that that needs to be like a new version of Barbie, like adventure travel writing Barbie. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, or I should change my Instagram handle. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) What about you, Susan? Sure. Um, I discovered travel writing as a career when I had a job in high school, a summer job at a local travel agency, and was flipping through travel magazines and and thought, wow, you can do that as a job? (laughs) I want to do that. So I tucked that into the back of my mind, went to college, graduated, and worked in nonprofits before landing a job at AAA Going Places with AAA Auto Club South here in Florida. 
After a few years, I moved from that position, and that's when I began freelancing part-time while working full-time. After several years doing that, I decided to go full-time freelance and have been doing just that for, it'll be 12 years full-time this year. So without getting too personal for both of you, you know, I think a lot of people dream about this type of career uh, where you get to travel for a living. Is it lucrative? I mean, can you actually make a living being a travel writer? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, that's what drew me in. It was like, should I write a book about all the things I'm interested? And everywhere I started looking, everyone was like, no, start a website start writing. And I think that it just depends on what avenues you take, but you can definitely make money doing it. I agree. From my perspective, it's a hustle because I I write for different outlets. And so it's a constant pitching, receiving hopefully assignments, <laughs> and then producing that work. So definitely you can earn a living from it, but if you have to hustle. You have to be self-motivated and really put yourself out there to do it. It doesn't come easily, but it's certainly well worth it. And I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm on the other side of the email from both of you and have pitched both of you multiple times. So, you know, there's kind of the, the good, the bad and the ugly of pitching. How do you prefer to be pitched from tourism bureaus, PR pros, brands, uh, you know, whatever. And whoever wants to start first, just go ahead and jump in. This is Ashley. I really appreciate when someone pitches to me like they already know what I'm about. For example, the first time you and I worked together, Allison, we had a call. You said you were hosting an adventure trip in the Smokies and it looked like we'd be a good fit. I checked out the itinerary. You knew that I was about to travel, so it worked out great. Other folks I work with, we do similar things. If a phone call isn't involved, we email back and forth. And I really appreciate when reps check out my site, get a fill for my work, and then we exchange ideas. I agree with Ashley. I think when PR pros come to me with ideas that they know what I'm writing about, what I have written about, what I'm interested in, which I post all of my clips on my own website as kind of an online portfolio, though I do need to update it (laughs) as always. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that when PR people come to me with story ideas, I recently worked with a couple of agencies where they, it was like a kernel of an idea and then it, it got blown into like a full feature and just, they know my work. I know their work. We work together to find the story to tell, but generally I prefer pitching over email Mm -hmm. because that way I have it. I can see it. I can come back to it. And I do myself, I do file away pitches, PR pitches. If I see something in there, I might not be able to use now. But if it's something that interests me, I will come back to that email. It may be next week. It may be at the end of the year. There's one I replied to four years later. I kept that email because I just knew one day it it would come in handy and it did. And we wound up working together on a story. So emails for me, I prefer I can file them away. and refer back to them as needed. I also find email is helpful working with writers across the country because of the time zones. I'm so frequently pitching to people Mm -hmm. on the West Coast that it's like, I may be pitching them at eight o'clock in the morning, my time, but they are 
hopefully still in bed. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a lot easier or vice versa that, you know, they may be responding to me and it's like bath time for the baby and they're, you know, they're responding to me and that way we're still able to keep an open line of communication, even though, you know, we're operating on different sides of the country. So on the flip side, what are some ways in which PR pros really strike out with you? So for me, I have a hard time when I just get a fact sheet from someone I don't know about a place I've never been, I'm probably not going to cover that. And I might be a little different when it comes to this topic, but if it's not new style around travel, I don't typically write about places I haven't been. I'm less creative when I haven't experienced a destination. Plus, I don't think I'm doing my audience justice by giving them a research paper. When I'm reading a travel guide, I want to know that the author has actually seen, smelled, tasted, and experienced the destination. So it's more authentic that way. And being authentic is something that's really important to me and my brand. The reps I work with the most email me, ask what I'm working on, and I let them know. And then they come back with brands they're working with or places they can help source facts. So when it comes to facts, this is this type of communication that I'm talking about is really helpful when I'm writing travel news for the Associated Press Wire. So those types of collaborations work really well. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think it's fair for the reader too. I mean, the reader wants authentic. And so the reader doesn't want to read a guide about a place from a writer who's never actually experienced it and is just taking information off of a a brochure that they got. Yeah. And as things have grown for me professionally and along this writing journey, you can tell when things are more authentic. What about you, Susan? How have PR pros struck out with you? I know that PR is hard. I also have done PR and do a little bit of PR still. So I understand the entire, all of the challenges out there on both sides. Yeah, But um, I think when I receive pitches that don't really have anything to do with what I write about, they may be travel adjacent, but if it's nothing that I'm ever going to write about, then I just delete the pitch. For instance, if I don't write much for trade publications, so if there's a promotion or a new hire at a hotel, unless it's a name that is very prevalent in the travel community, that's not going to hit with me or any of my editors. Another thing, actually, that's a strikeout on my end or a miss is a lot of travel magazines have their own awards. The best beaches, the best hotels, the best destinations, the best whatever, which are great and definitely bring a lot of attention to different properties, different hotels, restaurants, destinations. But when that happens, I get a lot of press releases around that, which I completely understand However, my editor at a competing travel magazine is never going to be interested no. in a story <laughs> that highlights their competitors' awards. So no. just kind of keeping that in mind, it's nice to know, especially if I'm writing a destination piece, especially here in Florida, you know, like our beaches are oftentimes named number one in the country, which is, that's a great fact to put out there. Or let's say we have the Florida as a whole has, let's say 20 of the best hotels in the country as named by XYZ. That kind of stuff, which is more of an overview, might be interesting, but 
definitely my editors are not going to want a story for me to pitch them a story about another magazine's awards. <laughs> right. I understand it from the PR perspective. I know the client wants to get the news out there and I completely understand, but that's the reality on my end. <laughs> but you know what? That that puts the onus back on us as PR pros to explain to our client that like this isn't going to work. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get coverage for a media brand specific award in another media brand. That just isn't the way the right. world works. And there are so many vanity <laughs> there's so many vanity awards out there now too that a lot of those you you have to pay a submission price to even be considered to get the award in one outlet. And so I yeah, I I totally feel that. But but also, you know, they're probably just going to muckrack or agility or scission or whatever their media monitoring sources and putting in travel writers, check all, send all. And so, right. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Well, so Susan, I have one specifically for you. A lot of PR pros and visitor bureaus and, and chambers of commerce are specifically looking for coverage in some of the big outlets that you have written for. So mm-hmm. what can you tell our listeners about the way that that works, the way that the process works for a freelance writer? And I think that some PR pros have the misconception that you have all of the control and authority and decision-making <laughs> over, over what you write that goes into an outlet. Oh, the dream. That would right? be the dream. <laughs> no. So since I have been on the PR side full-time as well, I know. So PR reps are pitching me story ideas. Then I have to turn around and create a pitch to present to my editors. So I'm essentially pitching on behalf of the PR rep and their client. So it's challenging. And though I work with certain editors regularly, other times, you know, every once in a while, I do have a direct line through email to them, but I don't have a direct line to, yes, we're going to take that story. It can take a long time to even hear back from an initial pitch from on my end. And then when I do, hopefully it's a yes. <laughs> you know, I want that yes as much as you want that yes. But it can also be, okay, this is an interesting idea. Let's talk through a couple of other things that maybe, you know, we can do around this story. So when I go back to PR professionals who have pitched me and say, okay, I need more information. It's very helpful when they have that information at hand or can get it quickly. Because if I've got an editor interested in a story, I want to get back them back to them as quickly as possible. So that they say lose interest. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So the more prepared, I mean, I try and be very prepared when I am pitching a story to have everything. Or I may go back to you and your email and say, okay, I want to pitch this, but I need X, Y, and Z. And the sooner you can get that to me, the sooner I can pitch. I like to have a complete package. And if it's not, just that immediacy of the PR rep having things available to send back to me, which I also know is not always (laughs) the case. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's the biggest thing to know is that I am turning around and pitching as well. And Editors are on deadlines, their own deadlines that I may not know about. If they're a print magazine that also does digital, a lot of times those same editors are working on both sides of the coin. So they may be out of communication for a week or two on print deadline that I don't know about. And uh, it's just kind of being aware of that. But yes, it's amazing when within five minutes of sending a pitch, an editor says, yes, that is amazing. Right. But the reality is it takes time. And I am one who always follows back up. Like, 
yes, they liked it. Like if I tell you I'm pitching, yes, it's a go or it wasn't a fit. Other times my editors say it's not a fit and, you know, as its own standalone story, but we might be able to do a roundup, which I know isn't always the client or the PR reps preference, but that's just kind of the way it is. So I think I have to practice a lot of patience, which I don't have much of. (laughs) So, (laughs) but I think that's just across the board is those immediate yeses are like unicorns and I love them, but it does usually take more time. Do you ever pitch after the fact? Like, do you ever go on a press trip and then write something and then pitch that to outlets that didn't pre-approve a press trip? Oh, absolutely. And most of my outlets will not pre-approve a press trip because I'm pitching a destination, but, you know, like Ashley was saying, but maybe I haven't been there. So I can... Mm -hmm do a pre-pitch as like an overview of here's where I'm I'm coming to Tampa. Let's say I live in Tampa, but I'm coming to Tampa. There's this new water street destination. I want to write about it. Like water street's kind of the news, but I haven't experienced it. Let's say. So when I would go back, go on the trip, go back. Oh my gosh. I met this incredible chef who's doing this or this artist who's doing this. So you don't really know the full pitch until after you've experienced it because even things that are on the itinerary, you know, the client or the PR representative may not even think that that's a story idea, but just this nugget can come out of it that you don't know until you've been there. Right. So definitely I'm pitching before just to say, Hey, here's where I'm going. And then when I get back and a lot of editors will say that, let's talk when you get back and see what you found. Does it happen often where you will go on a trip and then it turns out to that there aren't really a lot of great angles and it turns into no coverage at all. That does happen. You know, it can happen for a variety of reasons. It can happen that, oh, there may be stories to tell, but if they've already been told everywhere else Mm -hmm. in the travel space, then an editor is not really inclined to want to tell that story. They want something new, something different, especially if you're writing about a popular destination, like, okay, what's different? What's new? What's a different experience people can have? At the same time, it can also take, I was on a trip and it took like two or three years for me to find the right placement. I was pitching, I'm constantly pitching because I want to write the story as well, (laughs) but it can take a while. And that's hard. That's hard for me because I don't like to feel that I haven't upheld my end of the of the bargain. It's hard for PR pros because their client is asking, okay, where's the story? But it's just, again, that kind of patience of just in trust that the writers are pitching and are trying to tell the story. It's just, it's all about timing. Quite honestly, I had one editor, I pitched a story about swimming with manatees, which in outside of Tampa is one of the only places in the world you can do that legally. He had passed on it. And I met actually met with him a couple months later, said something about it. And he he said, I passed on that. Why would I have done that? Yes, let's do it. So it's all about timing and, <laughs> and getting your pitch in the door at the right time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so hard. <laughs> well, I, mean, I worked in broadcast news on the management side for 13 years. And so I was the one passing on pitches. 
and then yeah. coming back around and being like, okay, now would be a good time for that. So very different than being the editor of a travel magazine. But there, there is some crossover there that I get that like that story may not have worked for me in a week where we have nine inches of snow on the ground in Tennessee, but it might work yes. in a week where there's not a lot else going on, or it might work closer to spring break when people are thinking about travel when it wouldn't have worked mm-hmm. as well in February. So yeah, timing is everything for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> both of you have been on a number of, of press trips at this point. So Ashley, starting with you, what qualities have made a good press trip that you've been on? I love seeing what the area has to offer for the target audience. I love doing all the things, eating at great restaurants. I'm also gluten-free for health reasons, which you know, and I always let the reps know that I am ahead of time. So it's not awkward for anyone. It's so embarrassing if I have to tell someone, sorry, I can't eat something, you know, they expertly prepared for me. And 9.9 times out of 10 on press trips, it's not weird. So I always (laughs) just like to be really transparent. Um, I love group camaraderie. I get we're all working, but I'm also a freelance, meaning someone or a company isn't paying me to be there. So it's important for me to enjoy the trip too. I also like when downtime is baked in because traveling is rewarding, but can be tiring when you do it as much as I do. That's something that I think I need to get better at on my itineraries is allowing a little more time to just relax and enjoy just being where you are. I get so like, I want to make sure that the journalists get to see everything there is and definitely need to be like, and some of that is just being where you are. So I I think that the press trips sometimes feel like summer camp, you know, like everyone's like best friends by the end of it because there's so much much closeness and camaraderie. Um, What about, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's been so fun this last year meeting so many different businesses, reps, other writers. I mean, I just think it's so rewarding. It's definitely fun. What about for you, Susan? I agree with Ashley. Um, One of the best things about press trips personally and professionally is being with other people in the industry who understand what we do. And as freelancers, most of us work alone at home (laughs) in a cafe someplace. So to be with people who understand and are in the same industry as we are is terrific. I would say for the press trip itself, having opportunities for people to do different things instead of everyone doing the same thing and then resulting in the same story or leaving, like Ashley said, some free time to explore on your own to maybe find a different story idea that that no one had thought of. As a freelancer as well, like Ashley said, I'm not paid to be there by a company or an outlet. And so that downtime too, to catch up on other work is crucial. (laughs) And I know that that's not what a destination wants to hear. And I do my best to be caught up on work before a trip, but things happen, deadlines come that you weren't expecting. So having that time to crank out that work so then you can go and immerse yourself and be in the destination without panicking of, I have to have this filed by five o'clock. That's really important as well. But like you said too, Ashley, it's travels tiring. It's amazing. It's fun. I love it, but it can be exhausting. So having that downtime for whatever reason, if you need to get work done, if you need to recharge your own batteries before going to dinner, it's nice to have. But then it also allows you to go and explore on your own a little bit too. I think that's really good feedback for me as I put this next itinerary together. (laughs) Um, Right. 
So Ashley, this one's specifically for you because you cover a lot of adventure and wellness travel specifically. So are you seeing this trend increase amongst travelers? Is, is there a specific demographic that you're seeing more people lean toward this adventure and or wellness travel theme? Oh, absolutely. I was hoping we'd get to talk about this because this has been an area I've been covering extensively the last six months. So I recently wrote a few articles about how the adventure travel tourism global boom is showing no signs of slowing down and that the outdoor recreation industry in, in America is actually nearing the trillion dollar mark. And so people are opting to spend leisure time outside. It's not isolated to families, couples, and friends. It includes solo female travelers and seniors. Speaking of solo travelers, data is showing that a large majority of solo travelers are women and that they like guided group adventures like yoga retreats, wellness-based trips, international hiking trips, stuff like that. I talked to one guiding outfitter in British Columbia recently that saw a 324% increase in bookings last year. And I read a Campgrounds of America report that said in 2022, 58 million households camped at least once that year, pumping $52 billion into local communities and economies in North America alone. And so other global travel trends reports like the American Express global travel trends report said 68% of people prefer traveling where they can be outdoors to get mental clarity. And so all this to say that nature-driven tourism is a big deal in our culture right, right now. The new age travel mindset is encouraging people to live their best life through healthy, fun, and relaxing experiences that are incorporating the great outdoors. We definitely saw national park travel hit a sharp increase in 2020 when the pandemic uh, of course, forced people outdoors. No one wanted to go to crowded indoor museums and aquariums and things like that. So I think that that, that really helps to to spur some of that, getting people back outside. But it's it's great to see, and especially representing somewhere like you got to come to, to Townsend. It's, it's all about nature and hiking and being outside and adventure travel. And so... Oh, totally. Um, I'm actually taking my family to the Grand Canyon in March for, for spring break. And so we're we're right on there with the trend. That's exciting. You're going to have a blast. We'll see and how the nine-month-old does on the flight and in the RV we're renting. But <laughs> oh, who are, are, are you doing RV share? Yes, we oh are. Oh my so gosh, cool. Our first time doing RV share. I'm excited. Cool. I figured that would be easier than packing in and out of hotels every single night. Yeah. What part of the Grand Canyon are you going to? So we're going to fly into Phoenix and drive up to the South Rim and then go up to Antelope Canyon. And we'll oh, stop nice. at multiple places along the way. Yeah, I'm super excited about oh, it. Oh my gosh. I hope you all have the best weather. It's going to be so much fun. I hope so. And me being who I am, of course, I have like a whole spreadsheet and PowerPoint presentation of the itinerary. <laughs> oh, <so>. That's funny. <laughs> and your son's first trip. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then I have a 13-year-old stepson. So oh, yes. I, he'll probably he'll probably get a little more out of it than Rivers at nine months old, but it'll be fun regardless. I hope you guys uh, have the best time. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> so I wanted to leave everybody today with just a piece of advice from each of you. So it, it can be a do, a don't, What just what's the biggest piece of advice you would give a PR pro pitching you to try and get you to cover their destination? I think try to form a connection. All of the reps 
and pros that I'm working with on a regular basis. We're staying in contact, even if that means like, hey, I'm not working on anything that you're covering. Maybe something comes up down the line. You know, like you and I, we have an open line of communication. I also like when people ask, hey, what are you working on? And then I tell them, or maybe I have some trips coming up and maybe they work don't work for destinations, but they work for companies like Expedia or something that can gather the data points. So data points are really helpful when I'm writing travel news pieces. And so my biggest advice is just like anything, it's about relationships and and you know when things are working and when they're not. So just stay positive and try to connect. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the connection is the biggest part. I think is Ashley probably feels the same, but as we move through our work and our, you know, our deadlines, we know which PR professionals we can rely on for information, especially if we're working on something last minute, we know we can go to Allison and say, okay, here's what I need. And she's going to get it for us. Having those relationships, it doesn't happen overnight, obviously, but they're crucial and, uh, and they're so helpful in what we do. I would say, and I already mentioned it before, but I think just having some patience, if you send a press release, a pitch my way, following up the next day is probably not going <laughs> to not going to work. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have an answer back that soon. It'd be great if I did, but just, you know, realizing that these things take they take time, especially when I'm pitching editors who already have, you know, they have as much email or more coming into their their inboxes as I do and just thinking, okay, let me give this some breathing room. The the follow-ups that I get two or three weeks later are great. And obviously if, if I do pitch and I get a yes, I'm going to come back to you immediately and tell you. <laughs> so let's start working. But yeah, I think the connection is the biggest part, knowing what I'm work not working on because I'm working on myriad things all the time, but knowing what I've done in the past and if it's going to be a good fit. And on the flip side with Ashley though, if when people ask me what I'm working on, I can't really tell you because it's, I mean, I can tell you, but it's not going to be a fit for you because it's it's across all different subject matter. But I think that over time as I'm developing relationships with PR pros, they're going to know I'm going to come to you when I have something because, you know, I have your information, you presented it in a great way, something that I, that I remember that I'll go back and find. So just again, that patience of when the time is right, it'll all work out. <laughs> we always tell our clients PR is cumulative and and everything that you guys are saying rings true to that. I mean, I've been doing PR now for two and a half years after doing broadcast for 13. And I feel like my Rolodex, which is an outdated term, but hopefully people get what I'm saying, just it keeps <laughs> growing, you know? And so it's like every year working with the same client it gets better and better because you you continue to form relationships and strengthen relationships with different journalists where it might not have worked out last year for timing or because there wasn't quite a right fit. Well, this year, there may be a different angle that you're able to pitch that is a better fit or their travel aligns better. And so keeping the relationships and building them over time can only benefit everybody in the long run. Absolutely. 
Thank you guys so much for, for taking the time to talk with us today. And I hope that our listeners were listening and able to, to get some, some good advice from these are two women who are actually doing it. They're the people on the other <laughs> end of the email that you're pitching. And so hear them when they say, don't just, don't just throw stuff at them without knowing who they are, what they pitch, what they write about, taking the extra time to, to know who you're pitching will help you out in the long run. And thank you listeners for joining us. You can follow Fletcher Marketing at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.